middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Welcome into another episode of Keeper of the Games, po- uh, the podcast dedicated to the sports fan in Wichita, Kansas. I'm Weston Mills, and as you might have guessed, Tommy Castor is not with us for tonight's show. So we're being graced with the presence of the beardless Blake Cripps tonight. Blake, how's it going, man? Graced. Boy, graced <laughs> with the presence. Uh, you know, I'm just going to try to keep the train moving in the direction that you're taking it. Uh, I don't promise that it will stay on the tracks at all. I just hope that we don't run anything over that's expensive because I don't know what kind of insurance you have on this program. Um, but yeah, just happy happy to be here. And uh, happy, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff to talk to, but uh, to talk about tonight. But I'm I'm always thrilled to talk about how bad. Your Kansas City Royals and my Kansas City Royals are. You're wearing the shirt. That's right. You're still a proud fan. That's right. I can't wait to talk about the misery that is Kansas City Royals baseball on the show. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I, we're glad you're here. And I, had, I have to talk you up and I have to talk myself up, you know, because the, the professional Tommy Caster is not with us tonight. So I got to make the fans, you know, yeah. really build up you and I a little bit to make make folks think, think that we know what we're doing. Um <laughs> Before we get started, as a reminder, you can also watch all of our episodes on YouTube or Facebook by searching Keeper of Ga- Keeper of the Games. Uh, be sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you can get alerts when new episodes drop. And finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Title Boxing Club and the Shops at Tallgrass. Uh, Blake, I want to start, like you mentioned, with the Kansas City Royals. Since our last show, they are they have gone one and six since the last show. They're three and nine overall um, since the last show. They've been swept by the the White Sox, lost two to the Cubs. Uh, overall, it's just been pretty bad baseball. So I want to start there, and I know you've got plenty negative to say. So let me ask you this: Have you seen any positive so far with the Royals? Uh, I mean, they're not losing by a (laughs) hundred. I mean, that's, that's a positive thing. I mean, you look statistically, you know, the the biggest thing, um, you know, cause I've, I haven't watched a lot of the games. I have listened to a ton of the games on the radio. Um, so I've been listening to to Denny Matthews and, and Ryan Lefevre on, on the Royals radio network. Um, I canceled my, I canceled. Do you have cable back at your house? No, no. So that that's the same thing with me. As soon as sports got canceled, I literally watched the last college basketball game of the year at the Big East tournament, and then they cancel it, and there was no room for sports at all. I canceled my television. <laughs> what do I need TV for if there's no sports? So I haven't turned it back yet. Now with, you know, baseball is back. I, I, I kind of want to watch some hockey. Yeah. Um, the NBA, I'm not a big NBA guy. I'm a college basketball guy, so it's not that big of a deal. But I kind of want to watch – I kind of watch some professional golf, the majors. So I'm thinking about getting back. But suffice to say that I have listened to a ton of these games on the radio. And the Royals, the biggest problem that the Royals have right now is that they're not really good at anything. That's right. You look at their statistics, they're in the bottom half of everything. And I was listening to the game, I think it was against the White Sox, or it may have been against the Cubs when they lost 2-0 on Monday. And Ryan was kind of going over what had happened to Kansas city at the end of their last road trip or the end of their last, uh, their last series, you know, they, they had given up, they had, they lead at the time they led the major leagues in errors. They currently lead the American league in errors and they committed like two errors against the white Sox. accounted for four unearned runs. They committed a couple of errors in another game, two unearned runs. They ended up losing that game by one. I think it was maybe last weekend series. And then they had already committed a couple of errors in that game. And you can get away with that. Obviously in baseball, then the things that you think about are pitching and hitting, right? That's the things you want to be good at. And you can, play good defense obviously when the Royals were really good those two back-to-back seasons they played pretty well defensively they saved a lot of runs with their defense but you can get away with playing bad defense when you're hitting and pitching well the Royals are in the bottom half of the league in pitching they're in the bottom half of the league in runs per game so the Royals right now are not doing anything particularly well they're on their way to getting swept by the Cubs so you know 
They've scored four runs the last six runs the last three games. So there's nothing going on right now. When the Royals pitch well, they're not hitting. And when the Royals are hitting well, they're not pitching particularly well. And so, you know, for me in a 60 game season where every game is so much more meaningful, if the Royals had 162 games like normal, I mean, they got time to figure it out. They got a bad April, whatever. Every team is going to have a month that they're terrible in and a month that they're amazing in. But when you only have 60 games to figure it out, and that's not to say anything about what if the Royals start getting sick? What if they a Marlins thing happens and they lose 10 games that they don't get made up? You don't have time to start the way that the Royals have. So, you know, for me, this season is, you know, for the Royals is almost over, which is crazy to say 12 games in, but 12 games into 60, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're approaching a fourth of the season already. And you can't start this slow and expect to make the playoffs in a 60 game season. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll kind of double down on some of the, on some of the negativity that you're talking about. So if you look at, if you look at, and really, I guess before jumping into that, I think kind of the biggest takeaway I took from what you're saying and the thought that I've been having is consistency, right? I mean, like you said, there's times when the pitching has looked really good or pretty good. And then the, there's just been, you know, no bats whatsoever. There's the times when the, the guys have looked good at the plate and the pitching has been atrocious. There's times when the starting pitching has been good, but then the bullpen's been bad. There's times when the bullpen came in and saved the starting pitching, but then, you know, there's errors in the field and you just can't put it all together. And I think that's part of, and this is kind of, kind of roll into the positivity I guess I I have from what's going on right now is you expect this kind of play out of young guys. So I think really the, the, the one positive I'm taking out of this is we are seeing a lot of um, young guys who are, you know, flashing some pretty good, you know, some pretty good skills. We're see, we've seen some pretty good games out of Bubba Starling. We've seen some pretty good starts out of Brady Singer. We saw a pretty good start out of Chris Bubich. Um, you know, some of the future of the Royals, we've seen pretty good play out of both Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan McBroom. So some of these guys who are going to be the future um, for the Royals, while they're not producing at a consistent level to make this year, you know, feel like we're going in any type of direction that's going to get us to a playoff chance. Um, it does at least, I, in my opinion, make me go, okay, well, Maybe they can piece this together with some consistency. Some, you know, if each of these guys get 150 at bats, if we can get, you know, five starts a piece between a couple of our young young arms to kind of give them something to build on going into next year. And I think again, focusing really on I don't even think necessarily next year is what the Royals had in mind as that ability to compete. Um, I think they're kind of thinking maybe the year after that with the group of young talent they have to be able to piece that together and essentially what would be, I guess, the start of the, the 2022 season, right? Yeah, 2022 uh, season um, would be essentially because right. you got next year, I think you're still going to have a mix of some vets with the young guys and then 2022 being a pretty predominantly you know, young guy team, maybe mixed with some veteran signings at that point, maybe not guys that are still holdovers from the world series era, but that's really the only thing you, you have to look at. Um, just, you know, I guess the other kind of couple things I'll mention is, you know, with starting pitching the team ERA um, and this was as of yesterday at noon. So this might've changed. They ranked 27th and team team era which is bad that's not good if you're if you're not a if you're a casual sports fan it's bad it's like 27 out of 32 it's real bad that's not good the bullpen surprisingly enough ranks 11th and and i would say and that's kind of again going back to talking about young talent um you know we've seen some real good flashes out of like josh uh, stalmont out of the bullpen he's looked really really good um, I mean, how nice is it to see a Greg Holland come back oh. and pitch pretty solid with a 3.2 ERA? Yeah. And, you know, he's he's had some good innings for Kansas City. Um, you know, his uh, his whip was has been hovering around one. It's a little bit higher now, yeah. but he's looked pretty good. Opponents hitting under 250 against him. There definitely are bright spots. But, you know, offensively, when you look at the team and there is not a single guy hitting 300, I mean, Whit Merrifield is leading the team in hits, leading the team in average, hitting 288. But, you know, Jorge Soler, 
you know, 250. Biggest disappointment, obviously, for me is Alex Gordon. He is, he is not hitting the ball well. And I'm not of the mind that, hey, let's just give up on Alex Gordon and, and put him out to pasture. I still think he plays pretty well defensively. He, he's, got a, he's still got a great arm. It would be fascinating to look a little bit closer. And I don't know if this podcast is really the best place. You know, we need to have, like, Jeff Zimmerman on from Fangraphs to talk about, you know, like the range factor or, or ultimate zone rating or whatever to see, you know, what Alex Gordon defensively is really doing. Because he does still have a good arm, but there's been a downturn in Alex Gordon this sure. season. He's only hitting 194. He's getting older. Um, you know, Adalberto Mondesi has been good. And another positive, if you're looking for positive things, you know what? Salvador Perez has come back after a long injury, and he's hitting the ball pretty well. The pitchers seem to be responding pretty well, and he's healthy. And I always love to see – I don't know if I need to see many more Salvi splashes, but I always love to see Salvi smile in the dugout. I think he adds a big – charismatic piece to that team that was really huge when the Royals had that three year span of being really competitive. I think that the Royals missed that when he was gone and, you know, he's just got an energy that he brings to the game, a love for the game. I mean, is there anybody in Kansas city more likable than Salvador Perez other than 15 and red and gold? (laughs) Probably not. Right. I mean, probably not. So it's great to see Salvador Perez back behind and catching. Although, I mean, he's taken a lot of days off, obviously, because, you know, when when you have no days built into the schedule, yeah. he can't catch every day. Right. Well, and, I, and I, it's a good point that you bring up, too, because and this is I don't know, maybe this is going to sound corny, but I think another positive you're seeing from the season is, I mean, between Alex Gordon and the outfield. Salvi behind the plate and Danny Duffy, all three. I mean, like I said, Alex isn't hitting the ball well, but all three playing pretty well. But more importantly, at least from what I've seen, you know, a fairly incredible attitude out of all three of them. And I know that sounds so goofy and corny, but those three are the the vets and not just not just veterans on the team, but veterans that you you just hope and pray that your young guys modeled their game after they've gone about it, done it the right way. So the fact that they're still, you know, not hanging their heads and getting, you know, getting disappointed in that that rubs off that culture on these young guys that you're trying to build up and essentially replicate what you did with that 2015 team. Um, you know, I think the leadership between those three and, and really I want maybe I should even stop and take a second to talk about Danny Duffy's looked really, really good in his, you know, kind of I've said this several times now, but bounce back season so far, he continues to pitch well. So excited for him as well. But um, yeah, Duffy's been a hard one to figure out because the ZRA is 4.1, but he has a whip of under one yeah. and opponents are hitting 170. And I know that he said after one of his, I think it was his last start, actually, said, man, I had such great stuff tonight. My breaking pitches were all working at life on the fastball, but he only lasted five innings. Now, you know, obviously in today. I fall, I'm as guilty as anybody because I still judge pitchers by the historical trends. It's like, if you don't last into the seventh inning, you really didn't have that good of a start. You know, it's so different now with pitches being pitchers being so specialized and I get that, but you know, I'm always going to be the old school guy of, I want my pitcher. If if my pitcher can pitch a complete game, I want them to do that. And don't tell me about, you know, Oh, I got to come out at at 80 pitches, please. Okay. You haven't been doing anything all winter, but you know, that's just me being an old geezer and, and this is how baseball's always been. So, you know, that's, that's just that. I did want to ask you in terms of your fandom, where do you rank the is, are the Royals number one for you? Where are the Royals in terms of your hierarchy of your teams that you root for? Boy, I you know I almost don't know if I want to put this on uh, on public record, but no, I, by far in a way the Chiefs are my number one. I've just love loved the Chiefs. Okay, since, I mean that there's nothing wrong with first that. team that Chiefs. I've ever you know fell in love with. And football's my favorite sport. Played in college, so pretty obsessed with the Chiefs. Then uh, you know probably really the the Jay, Kings Jayhawks. Really, I guess basketball is probably the second sport I'm following the most. It's, weak. it's typical, I get it, but um, and then probably the Royals and KU football kind of come in there there at number three about the well, same. But the reason I ask that is because if you were, you know, the Royals, like were your number one team, I wanted to ask you what you thought about, and I'll still I still will, you know, because I feel like teams, if you like, I feel like asking the the 
fans that are the most diehard give you the best opinions about the head coach. And the Royals obviously have a head coach, and you mentioned a couple of guys that you thought had a really positive attitude. So to me, you know, how much does that reflect on the manager? The Royals are not my number one team. I gave up on the Royals, you know, for like a decade when I was in college because they signed Benito Santiago and Juan Gonzalez, the two of the worst contracts in the history of Kansas City professional sports. So I gave up on them. So I'll never enjoy the Royals the way like a diehard Royals fan that has suffered through all these years. And I'll never enjoy that as much as they will um, because they've, they've lived through every terrible downturn where the Royals have been bad. But how much credit, you know, so I'll still ask you because they're a top three team. How much credit do you think, you know, Mike Matheny gets as the brand new manager coming in? Obviously, you know, one of the big memes under the previous regime was, oh, the Royals sure got yosted tonight. Um, but at the same time, you know, Ned Yost was part of the team that brought a championship back to Kansas City and led the Royals out of the depths of despair to three of the best consecutive Royals seasons. I'd have to look it up. I have to imagine they're three of the best seasons the Royals have ever put together in the history of the franchise. So how do you think Matheny is doing in terms of managing a very young team as a first-year manager? Yeah, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, on on some previous shows, and that's really going to be, I think, the continuing conversation um, as the year goes on because obviously maybe it's a hard year to judge because of everything going no, on and that's and that's exactly fair and that you know that's kind of the stance I've taken taken before but you know and really I think with managers and in particular I look at I look back to Ned Yost probably being one of the most polarizing I I think managers really I mean I had such a love hate with him right because you felt like he was making bad you know managerial decisions but at the same same time how can you argue? Right. How can you, you – they're winning the game. How do you argue? Exactly that. And then I think if you know if you have been in any type of locker room, whether whatever sport you played or just – I mean even just team to whatever level, you kind of can understand those intangible things that go on that you can't put a number on, right? And it seemed like Ned Yost had a lot of that with his guys, whether it was because he had so much confidence in them um, you know, and it, it really did help a, a guy get out of a slump or, or stick with a guy later into a game because he wanted to send that message that you're our guy. It's just seemed to resonate with those guys. But with that being said, and there's so many guys who say, oh, well, the, the you know, major league manager doesn't mean anything. They don't do any actual right. coaching. There's so many people who say that too. Well, so, you know, we, who knows if we even know what we're talking I would about. definitely say a baseball manager is probably more relevant than an NBA coach. I think those, those guys are, are you, you think more relevant? more relevant than an NBA coach. Yeah. I think those uh, NBA guys are just the talent level is so insane that certainly if LeBron James is on your yeah. team, I mean, LeBron James might as well be a player. Coach. Yeah. But go, so going back to Mike Matheny, you know, I think the thing about Matheny is you're it's pretty much going to be a trial run all year. And the hard thing about it being a trial run is he also is going to have this exception of, you know, it's COVID. So I think about, you know, in, for instance, you were kind of talking about Danny Duffy earlier and I, you know, he kind of referenced a couple of five inning starts that he had. Well, it, it almost kind of seems like I'm seeing a trend across Major League Baseball that a lot of guys are just not going into in, to, in as deep. Um, to the game as what I've seen in the past of the start season. And part of that because of the delay in the spring training and back up and those kind of things. Right. And so there's just a whole bunch of decisions that are going to be made that I think. Well, it's can, so popular right now for to just have a bullpen. Game right. Where it's like, Hey, you know what? We're not even going to yep. try to have a starter. Let's just let the bullpen work, work at it. And eh, they'll figure right. it out. No, exactly. And, and I think that you're, you know, Matheny and really anyone can kind of get away with an excuse of, you know, we were, Look, we wouldn't normally do this with the circumstances of this year, <laughs> you know, and it's like we can laugh at it. And, and I agree. Like, it's an excuse. But at the same time, like, how do you really argue with it? Because to some degree, it's right. You know, it's, like, it's true. We have it's nothing true. to say. Well, they haven't done this in the past or. And really, I think it's going to take a body of work towards the end of the year when we can kind of look back and say, OK, well, the other managers did this and that was working. Why did Matheny not adapt? Overall, it seems like, you know, I've been fairly happy i mean i just probably not enough time I mean, to make too much judgment i guess oh yeah well and, and the, at the end of the day i mean i think there are a lot of sports talk radio shows and podcasts that that you know they look at the game and they look at the numbers and, and they say oh well i mean it's so obvious he should have done this it's like i'm here to let the listeners know that the amount of major league wins that weston and i have is precisely zero right. zero none 
zero wins. So, you know, who, we, we don't have any idea of whether or not, you know, he's doing a good job. I, I tend to agree with you. Hard year to judge. A lot of young talent. And, you know, I, I think, you know, probably in baseball, the general manager is the one that has the bigger reins. Obviously, and you can attest to this, you know, in football, the head coach really matters. I mean, look at your team, right. the Kansas City Chiefs, just as case number one. In terms, Look at Kansas State with Coach Kleiman. You know, we we're going to get to the Big 12 football in, in a second. You know, in football, coaching really matters. There are other sports. Look at volleyball at Wichita State. Chris Lamb really matters at Wichita State. He makes in-game, week-to-week decisions, you know, in this case with baseball, like, for example, let's say next week, Whit Merrifield, and I never wish this, Whit Merrifield is a wonderful person. I love Whit Merrifield. What if he gets coronavirus? What exactly is the manager supposed to do about that? You're going to call some guy on the taxi squad who, by the way, is not going to be Whit Merrifield. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. So for all those reasons, really tough year to judge. The Royals are bad, you know, but I do agree with you. Maybe we should not be as negative. There are positive things to look for in Royals baseball if you look hard enough. Yeah, and you know, and I think uh, with that note, well, you mentioned the the Royals are playing at the Cubs right now, and I don't have a score in front of me, but uh, I think that's going to be a perfect trend. They were down one nothing. Down last time already time. down one nothing. That fits in perfect with our little segment about uh, how bad they've been playing. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, so, and with that, we'll kind of transition into just what we what you were talking about a little bit earlier with the Big Twelve. And we talk, we're going to talk a little bit about the reshaping of uh, the Kansas Jayhawks and Kansas State Wildcats uh, schedule coming up. As the NCAA Board of Governors, um, they had recently asked uh, all Division One, Division Two, and Division Three to make fall sports decisions on their own. Um, and following that, the um, well, it, and I'm actually not quite sure on the timeline, but a bunch of the conferences had went ahead and made decisions on what their upcoming schedules would look like. For instance, the Big 12 has made the, the decision that they will be playing a co- all their conference schedules plus one non-conference game, which leaves both Kansas and Kansas State to figure out exactly how their schedule is going to turn out. Uh, K-State was... Uh, planning on they've got two games that they possibly could keep as their non-con they were scheduled to play the university of north dakota on september 12th however university of north dakota is an fcs school and i believe the fcs has uh canceled their season um buffalo are they they, they, seriously they've can't wow i didn't well let's put let's let's pause on that because i'm pretty sure that that's what that's what is being reported uh but then the other team that was on their schedule for the non-con would be buffalo uh who they're scheduled to play september 5th so it looks like the buffalo whether they stick to the september 5th date or not will be k-state's one non non non-conference game ku on the other hand um they are in a little bit of a different position with um they they were set to open the season August 29th, which boy, that's quickly approaching with Southern Southern Illinois. Um, However, Pete, uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo sports. He tweeted that on August 29th, um, that is unlikely to be the Kansas Jayhawks opening date. They won't, they're not likely to play on that day. Not necessarily that they're not going to play Southern Illinois. Uh, The other teams on their schedule were Boston college, uh, which is unlikely as the ACC won't play any non-conference games out of state. Uh, Coastal Carolina was, or KU was set to play Coastal Carolina at Coastal Carolina on September 26th. But again, the Big 12, God, the weird. Big 12 is planning on keeping all non-conference games at Big 12 venues. Then New Hampshire has already opted out of fall football. So that leaves the August 29th uh, game with Southern Illinois that is likely to be moved. So Blake, I, this is a this is an open ended, I guess, uh, conversation for you. But what do you think about all these changes and and really as we look at football as a whole coming up this fall? Well, I mean, we're we're not doctors, obviously. Um, there are obviously going to be some really big, um, really big losses in terms of television revenue in terms of the gate like Oklahoma for example I always like to look at their schedule because I you know there are a lot of Oklahoma fans in Wichita and uh, you know they lost their game against Tennessee 
they lost their game at Army. And that Tennessee game, I'm not sure the Volunteers would have been great this year, but you know those those two games are canceled off their schedule. They've still got a game against Missouri State on their schedule. Again, scheduled for August 29th, but as you mentioned, who knows if that's possible. You know, at this point, um, they kind of division NCAA made some decisions in terms of fall championships this week, which I know we're going to get to, but I want to bring it up now because it kind of informs what I'm about to say. You know, we don't know if this is actually going to stick. They've already punted on all fall championships for D2 and D3, but they're still set to revisit and remake this decision on August 21st in terms of fall championships for NCAA Division One. Now, it's not a football question. Obviously, that affects volleyball. That affects all the fall sports. You know, they, well, they play some golf. There's some golf that is played in the fall, uh, cross country, you know, those. But the, the main things that we think about is football, obviously. And of course, if you're a Shocker fan, obviously, you want to see the ladies back at Coke Arena for sure. But this could be totally out the window on August 21st. The NCAA may come in and say, eh, you know what? We don't need to have fall championships. Are schools still going to want to play? I think the big schools will because they need the television dollars to fund the rest of their athletic departments. You know, it's not a good look to not have your non-revenue sports play, you know, and I think that every all the conferences should make every effort to get their volleyball played, to play their, uh, you know, whatever fall sports that they have, you know, I, I think that, sh- that they should try to play, you know, I, I isn't soccer played in the fall. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Are, but, I can't say I follow you know, soccer. Yeah. I me, me neither. Collegiate soccer is not my strong suit, but uh, you know, I, I think that they should, I think that the schools owe it to the athletes if the athletes want to play and you have to remember, you know, everybody says, Oh, well, you know, their scholarships are still going to be honored. Well, yeah, but the, even though their scholarships are honored, they still have to go to class. And if you are graduating with a degree, there are a lot of those players. They don't want to go to graduate school. They want to go out and start living their life. You know, it's a big decision that you're asking these young people to make, you know, okay, this is, Maybe the last time I'm ever going to get to play this sport that I love competitively at the highest level in a Big 12 Power 5 conference, you know, am I going to give up one year of my professional development, my professional money earning to go and do this and spend additional money, incur additional debt in grad school that maybe or maybe is not 100% covered by my scholarship? that's a really tough decision that these young people are in. You know, I know uh, several Newman jets decided that they were not going to come back for this year in the fall softball players, baseball players that could have retained their eligibility and returned, but they chose not to because they still got to pay for school. You know, in a lot of those sports, uh, the diamond sports, especially there are a lot of partial scholarships. So it's a lot of money for these, for some of these sports to come back for some of these athletes in some of these sports to come back and play. Um, and, and obviously if football doesn't play, you know, the budget hit on all of those sports is going to be massive. Absolutely massive. So I think that it's okay to leave things where they are now and plan to play. You know, the other thing that I believe is that you're going to have positive tests. You just need to accept it because college football is not going to be in a bubble. What has been demonstrated perfectly these last few weeks by soccer over in Germany, the Bundesliga, by the NBA and by the Stanley Cup playoffs is if you have a bubble, there's no reason you do not need to socially distance. You can play sports as long as everybody plays by all the rules in the bubble. You will not have any problems if you have adequate testing and adequate safety protocols in place. If you don't have a bubble, which is what Major League Baseball has been doing, you're going to have Marlin situations Possibly, although it does sound like to me, Weston, that a lot of those Marlins were not following the rules at all. So if Major League Baseball could crack down a little bit, maybe we would get a bigger, a better sample. You know, if these college kids are more controlled and their coaches can get on them about, hey, don't go to the strip club like the Marlins did. Don't go out. Maybe it can work. Maybe we haven't seen a true test yet because Major League Baseball 
gave their players too much leash. Well, and let me mention this too, just for, for any of the listeners that, that might be kind of new to, to how this works. So the NCAA, and this is kind of why I let off with this, the Board of Governors basically asked D1, D2, and D3 to make fall decisions on their own. And the reason I led with that, the importance of that is that basically what the NCAA wanted was Division two and Division three to make these tough decisions that they made because their funding and their abilities and capabilities are different than that of Division one. So that way the NCAA, NCAA sure. could say, hey, look, you all make that decision on your own as so that we don't as a whole have to shut down everything if Division one might be capable of doing it. Then the next step to that being that the NCAA with Division two and Division three has said we are not going to play championships in the fall, which is essentially the tournaments, the bowl games, whatever. Um, the big right, exactly. Combination. So that still leaves the door open for you as a conference. For instance, the MIAA can say, you know what? We're fine with what we have. We're going to go ahead and play our regular season. We're going to maybe play a conference tournament if that's what they want to do. If it's under that, you know, MIAA umbrella, or whatever. You just have the regular season champion win the league. Right. That, that's something you can Absolutely. do. Absolutely. So that stuff is still on the table. Not saying, I don't think anybody has come out definitively and say, I know you, you had said that the, the commissioner for the MIAA said, Hey, look, we're going to try to do this under any circumstances, but yeah, before we came on the air, yes, he, Mike Racy has said they are going to move heaven and earth and exhaust every possible plan, contingency and backup plan to play football, volleyball, all their fall sports in the fall. And if it doesn't work out, my prediction, they will try to play all those sports in the spring. Right. That's my prediction. The MIAA, at least. I can't speak for the other conferences. The MIAA is going to try to play. I believe that they will play football. Whether or not it's in the fall, I don't know. But I think that they are going to try to play something they're going to get a season in. That's my well, and w- with that being said, that I mean, that's a good kind of segue into what if you look at the NAIA, where you know I played in the KCAC conference, and the KCAC made the decision that they're not going to have any championships. Oh, I'm sorry, the the NAIA made the decision that they're moving their fall championships to the spring, but leaving right. it open to have you know to, again to have your season in the fall. So potentially, you could have a football season played in the fall qualify for the playoffs and not go play the playoffs until the spring, which leads for a very, you know, especially with El- that is so crazy. It really is incredible qualifying. You know, you're not going to play a down between like November and like May, you know, and you there with, especially at that level with the KCAC conference, the NAI as a whole, you have a lot of eligibility issues. You have a, got a lot of guys that play one semester of ball and don't come back for the second semester. Now I would think retaining guys on a team that's winning and has the opportunity to go play for a championship in the spring probably is easier. Guys are willing to do those things to stay eligible or come back to school. Um, but you know, I, my, my heart definitely goes out to a lot of those guys that, that miss that opportunity. And it, you know, especially if, Oh yeah. The, the conferences, I'm sure there will be some conferences that just go ahead and move their football season to the spring. And I know, for instance, I, I can just think some have already, some already. Okay, have. there you go. And, and you know, and I know with the KCAC, that level of competition, you have a lot of guys that that come to these schools, and if they if there if there wasn't football in the fall, they're they're not showing up for a college education probably ever. You know, getting them oh, eligible, yeah. getting KCAC, them there. So NAIA. Those are the for the love of the game crowd. Yeah, really. They're not going – you're not getting people going pro out of friends. No disrespect to friends, but that's not what that – those guys are there. And you know, you were one of those guys. That's right. You played because you love football and you're not – it's not about your contract. Right. It's not about getting – you know, you're getting your education. You're playing football because you love it. So – yeah, I feel terrible for those guys if they lose their season. So, and that's all, and you know, and those are all those kind of things to think about. And I want to kind of drive us back to where we started here. But let me ask you this, Blake: How important do you think this non-conference game essentially is for the Big Twelve between KU and K State on who they're playing? You know, and obviously, I want to I want to ask you from the lens of KU and K State, but then really for you know any Big Twelve team or any team that wants to kind of compete on the national level, how important is that non conference game? I think it's important for a couple of reasons. First, from a football perspective, obviously, before you get into play, you want to have a chance to have a dress rehearsal, play a team that you should beat. Now, I mean, 
I hope we beat. I hope KU beat Southern Illinois. Yeah. But I don't. I would have felt a lot better about New Hampshire. Let's. Uh, let's. I'm going to be honest about that. But you do want to have that dress rehearsal. I think it's more important for this reason. You want to be able to show and prove, hey, we played a game. Nobody got sick, or only this person. This person got sick. We caught it before the game. We put them in quarantine. And every the game happened. You know that's the big thing that happened with the UFC. Data White said, "I'm going to put together an event. I'm going to show people we can have this fight happen and have it work." And they did. And the UFC found a formula. So I think for college football, just in general, not just KU Kansas State. That I know this doesn't really directly answer your question, but I think it applies to every Big Twelve school and every school that's going to play football. You want to have a benchmark and a plan to say, okay, this is how we handled this week one game in the non-conference and nobody got sick. Okay, let's repeat that nine more times and then you've got a season and everybody is safe. So I think that's maybe even more important, but obviously it is nice to have a dress rehearsal before you get into the games that really Well, and I want to take this in a a different direction because I think this non-con game becomes probably one of the most imperative games you have all season from a competition standpoint. And that is because if you are the big 12 and look, you're that you're not the sec, you're not the big 10 putting a decent non-con game on your schedule to be able to separate yourself from somebody else, especially if we have, you know, a four team playoff and you're, let's say you're Oklahoma and you want, you know, you end up with one loss in the Big 12, but you want into that tournament, you better hope that that non-con game can boost you because otherwise it's just Big 12 play, you know? So I don't know if anybody ends up, I know Notre Dame's out there fielding a schedule, so I would be very interested to see how Notre Dame's schedule ends up. And I think if I read right, and so I'm not, don't quote me on this because I'm doing this off the top of my head. I wasn't planning on including the show, but I think they're playing as a part of the ACC schedule. Yes, they are. Yeah, they're going to play a full ACC schedule. They're going to be eligible to win the ACC championship, which means they only got one non-conference. No, you just said the ACC is not playing non-conference games outside, so that would have to be a road game. Um, I I definitely hear what you're saying about this hurting the postseason because Oklahoma, you know, they lost games against Tennessee and Army. That game against Missouri State, I mean, they should be able to basically crawl out of bed and, meet, and beat Missouri State by about 50. Right. So that's not going to help them at all. So if you do get lucky with a non-conference game, I mean, let's be honest, KU was never going to be in the mix for this no. anyway. Um, if you get a good non-conference game, you know, it could boost you into, you know, the the final four. That's only going to affect, I think, maybe a couple of Big 12 teams. Unfortunately, neither team in the Sunflower Showdown, probably. But I do think that it could make a big difference. And obviously, too, another thing that that you haven't mentioned, what about bowl games? Are bowl games going to happen? Are we going to have bowl eligibility? In a nine-game schedule, that non-conference game is the difference between being bowl eligible and not being bowl eligible because you have to have a winning record. Five and four gets you into a bowl. You lose that non-conference game. All of a sudden, that extra revenue opportunity is lost because those bowl games do pay out to, to schools. Some of them don't pay out very much. But if you get a good bowl game, that could be a boon for your school and for your conference. So that's another reason that you want to get a good non-conference game and, and you want to make sure you win that game. Too. And I would certainly you know, anticipate that in the, in the, in the coming days and in, in weeks, we will get some some guidance from the NCAA on what exactly they're planning on doing with the vision one, which I would think ultimately would would have to have some decisions made on bowl games, um, particularly, you know, eligibility. Like you said, if we've got a lot of teams playing nine games or 10 games, um, you're probably look at probably I would think they would look at shifting what what makes you eligible for a bowl game because they want a bunch more people to qualify. You know, they want to they want all these teams to qualify. They don't have the games. Played, that's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that'll be definitely interesting to see what the NCAA does in, in the coming days with that. So, and with that, we'll kind of shift a little bit and I want to go back. Um, Well, we talked baseball, we've talked football. So now let's talk a little basketball and let's talk about former Wichita state shocker, Fred Van Vliet, who has looked fantastic in his uh, we'll call it what reboot to the NBA season. And it was, I believe last night dropped 36 points in a career high um, 
So here's here's what I want to talk about, Blake, with this Fred Van Vliet, who is really kind of uh, emerging to into his own this season. He's played well for the Raptors in the last two years, but really just, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll again use the word emerging this year is coming up on a on a free agent season, you know, with the start of this season. Uh, Fred Van Vliet was averaging, sorry, and I had this in front of me, was averaging 18 points, 6.6, and four rebounds a game in the first 50 regular season game. Uh, came back, did, had 13, 11, and five when they beat Los Angeles, and then again had the, the offensive high on the team with 36 and a career high for him with 36 points, and that was on Monday night when they beat the Miami Heat. So my question to you is, with the upcoming free agency, can Fred Van Vliet be that elite team leading point guard that a contender is looking for? I absolutely believe so. You cut out a little bit right there. The biggest surprise that I have had, so I'm not sure if I'm exactly answering your question, but this is the biggest surprise that I have seen. Fred Van Vliet can score in the NBA. I never believed that he could be a guy that, you know, even when I thought that I, I went back and listened to one of my old sports talk shows, and I thought that Ron Baker was going to – oh, no, I thought Clee Anthony early. I was like, oh, he's going to be the best NBA player off these teams for sure. I mean, look at him. He's got the size. He's got the length. He can make shots from the outside. He's got great first dribble. He's going to be the best NBA player. By the time that the Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker era was done, um, you know, at that point I thought, you know, Fred Van Vliet can run a team. He can run a team in the NBA, but he's never going to be a guy that goes out and gives you 20. He's never going to be a guy that goes out and gives you 30. He scored in double figures back in January, which I know seems like last year. He scored in double figures 12 out of 15 games before the shutdown, uh, before he went inactive on February 28th. This is a guy that scores in 20-point-plus all the time. I mean, it's not it's not rare. He had 29 at Minnesota on the 18th. He came back and had three straight, four straight 20-point games. He had went for 29 against Brooklyn as part of a rest. He went for 29 against Brooklyn again. This is a guy who can shoot the basketball and obviously runs a team tremendously well. Outstanding assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, I believe in free agency he will be extremely hot. And I think with Toronto, not sure about their contract. You know me, I'm not the money guy in professional sports in terms of, well, the contract and the luxury tax. It's not what I pay attention to. But when you have a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who in the last two games has 15 combined assists and he had 11 against the Lakers and is shooting the way that he is right now, Coming back after the break, he's 10 of 19 from the outside. He's shooting uh, you know, better than 50%, shot 50% against Miami, and is the floor leader and the all-around great person that he is. Who doesn't want to have a Fred Van Vliet on their team? I mean, I, I want to have Fred Van Vliet on my team, and he didn't go to my school. Come over and play for KU. We'll, we'll take you right now. Wichita State, you don't think Greg Marshall would like to get three more years out of Fred Van Vliet? Everybody would want Fred Van Vliet, and I believe that he is going to get a contract. And it's not necessarily because of his defense or passing, though he's a great passer. He's a great, I think, underrated defender. But it's because he's scoring. He's scoring at a clip that I would have never believed that if you would have told me coming out, that, oh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet's going to get you 36 some nights. Like, in what dream is that going to happen? And he's too short. He's not that fast. I'm wrong. I was totally an idiot on Fred Van Vliet. This guy could play and he could score and he's going to get paid. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a good point too, because coming out of college, he was undrafted. He was an undrafted free agent. And I remember how dumb is that? Right. And there were reports going around that he had actually gotten several invites to, to teams, D league teams or G league teams. Now, um, that he turned down because he wanted the opportunity to go into training camp and compete for a job. And that, that job worked itself out with the Raptors. And he's really, he's turned it into quite the opportunity now. I mean, he's looking at making, I mean, he makes 9 million this year. You know, there's certainly no, no reason he can't probably double that contract. If, if he goes into a team oh, yeah. looking like, um, you know, the guy and, and, you know, and obviously, and we, we talk about Fred Van Vliet and, and whether he's the guy. And I really mean the guy at point guard because he, I mean, he's not a number one. 
but that's okay. And, you know, there's not many guys that are true number oh. ones on our team, but can he be a fantastic complimentary piece on that squad? Absolutely. You know, and I, and when I kind of think about Fred Van Vliet, I think there's two aspects to him that I, I, I always have really focused on one going back to his days at Wichita state, the guy is just a flat out gamer. When the lights come on, yeah, when is. things get tight, you can count on Fred Van Vliet to make a play. And he's done that in the NBA level. It's one thing for the guys who do it at the college level and then just nothing works out for him because, you know, look, they were a big fish in a small pond on whatever college team they were at. Fred Van Vliet has made big shots for the for the Toronto Raptors. He stepped up in, in games, especially right now when you're coming back out of the bubble. These games are important right now for seating and those sort of things. So to, to take that load and score 36 when there were some other guys out on that night was huge. I mean, the guy is just a gamer. But then second, and he makes big shots at big times in big series. I mean, look at the last NBA finals, huge shot. I mean, you look at him and I mean, doesn't he look like a guy that Greg Marshall, (laughs) that's exactly who he is. Yeah, that's right. And then, and I really think in the other thing about him, and I think when, and I kind of want to mention this because as you mentioned, you missed on him, but I think a lot of people missed on him is really, I mean, I think it's almost a perfect timing with really Fred Van Vliet's from the time he graduated to really his first year and a half in the league is the time frame when we've seen this transition in the NBA to what teams expect out of really guards in general, but particularly the point guard spot, you've seen a lot, a, a lot of change in looks, you know, it used to be, if you were six foot six, one, you probably weren't going to play in the NBA because you couldn't guard people and this and that. But the way the game is played these days, you don't need to body somebody up. And look, if you can shoot and you can guard on the perimeter, get a hand in somebody's face when they're shooting, then, you know, that's going to be enough. And, and really then the way the point guard position has transitioned, you know, it used to be a pass first position. And now it's, you know, you got to be able to do both. You got to be able to distribute through that offense, but you're also going to be fully expected to score when you're needed to score. And that's the thing where I think Fred Van Vliet is really going to cash in on is that he has clearly shown that particularly this year, but really over his entire career with Toronto, that he can do both and do both consistently. So I think he's, he is definitely looking good going to this free agency. There's a lot of rumor about him potentially returning. Well, I say returning, going to the New York Knicks, where his former GM uh, Dwayne oh, Casey is, not. and playing for Tom Thibodeau. And I know you might not like that, but I do think, to me, Tom Thibodeau reminds me a lot of Greg Marshall. And I wonder if that that connect, not so much whether it's get get the most out of Fred Vliet or that. I think he's going to play fantastic no matter what coach he has. I just almost wonder if that, you know, because, you know, these NBA teams, they're recruiting free agents, just like colleges are recruiting stuff. And I almost wonder if you'll kind of, he'll kind of come through, see Tibbs and kind of go, man, he kind of reminds me of that guy, Greg Marshall down there in Wichita. Yeah. And I kind of like that. So I, I, I could see that reunion happening for sure. Uh, so uh, the New York Knicks, is where basketball dreams go to die. The Knicks are terrible. I pray that Fred Van Vliet will not go to the Knicks. They are bad. Look, they're terrible. They they won 17 games in 2018-19. They haven't made the playoffs in seven years. They're always... In uh, I I don't want how dare you wish that evil upon such a great young man and steward of our community Fred Van Vliet that he would go to that dumpster fire in New York and become a Knickerbocker. I hear what uh, I hear. How I hear you what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But he goes there and signs a three year deal, terrible. and he'll be the guy. He will be the guy there by means of no other options, and he'll ball out and then get a big time contract after that. So I think uh, I like Tibbs. I, I like Tibbs. I see what you're going with with Greg Marshall there. You know, Tibbs is a guy that, like Greg, wants you to play defense. You better play defense when you're playing for Tibbs. Just like I mean, in college, you know, Greg obviously has all the power in college, where Tibbs, you know all the the players have all the power in the NBA, but he is a guy who demands you play defense. So I do think that Fred could get along with him, but 
I would not want to be in the same – not only do I not want them to go to New York, I wouldn't want to be in the same state as the Knicks unless I was playing there on the opposite team. The Knicks are just so bad. They have such bad ownership. They've been so bad historically in the front office over the last few years. They have three playoff appearances since 2003. And before that, I mean, they were good in the 90s. Historically, very important franchise, not a lot of titles. But since – the end of 2000, basically since Jeff Van Gundy got fired, they've been horrible, absolutely horrible most years. I, I would rather see Fred go back. Why not stay in Toronto? Toronto is Toronto loves him. I think he fits the culture there. He, I mean, when you go to Wichita State, you're not going to be in the biggest program. You're going to be in the right program. Why not stay in Toronto where the fans love him? He can win a championship. I do think one thing that will make him more more valuable, though, he's proven that he can play with stars like Kawhi Leonard. Now he's proven he can make other guys better, too, that aren't necessarily the top-tier guys in the league. There are a lot of teams that are going to want him. I don't. I don't want him to go. <laughs> Not the Knicks. Yeah, anywhere but the Knicks. We uh, we went a whole bunch of miles away from our little Wichita podcast to get in a nice little ta- off on a tangent on the on the New York Knicks, but we certainly wish all the best for former Wichita State Shocker. Uh, oh, Fred Van Vliet. And, God and bless you, Fred Van Vliet. We will certainly be following uh, whether he stays in Toronto or goes to New York or any of the other teams. Uh, and with that, we will switch and transition into the Wichita Whip Around. Um, and we will start the Wichita Whip Around by uh, talking about the NBC World Series baseball that is underway at Hobart, Detterfield, and X Stadium. Um, and it looks like doesn't, doesn't that still feel weird to say it feels weird for me to hear it's like what do you mean lawrence oh yeah forgot. yeah there's no it, it definitely does feel feel different with this first year and especially with all the weird circumstances but it looks like um you know checking in kind of on the scores of the games everything has for the most part looks like been going smoothly um you know and and um a few of the protocols that they, they put in uh, in front of us, and that was um, Kevin Jinx, right? Is who's yeah, Kevin Jinx, the the tournament director, had yes. talked a little bit about what they were going to do to kind of ensure ensure the safety of and really more the players because we we've already talked a little bit on on another episode about what the was going to be expected out of fans and those kind of things for for the folks attending to watch the game, but for for the fan or for the teams and the players, um, they had mentioned that you know due to a limited supply and sometimes lengthy wait for results, they were, there was not going to be mandatory coronavirus testing. Um, the tests or the teams were going to be doing their own daily health checks on players um, when teams arrived to to games. NBC World Series officials administered their own health checks for each player and coach, and they will be asked to if they've had a cough, sore throat, runny nose, um, and their temperature will be taken, which as we know, and we've kind of gotten a little bit further into, you know, all this coronavirus, COVID madness. We know that that's not really official, but I mean, it's better than nothing, but it sounds like uh, certainly haven't been any reports yet of, of anything uh, negative coming from the NBC world series. So, so Blake's your, your thoughts so far on the tournament. I think it's fantastic that the fans have really responded. I think it shows that at least here in the Midwest, and I'm, you know, I don't know how much politics you talk on this with Tommy. Um, that's not something that I really ever want to get into, and unless you get to that weird intersection with which coronavirus kind of is an intersection where politics, you know, kind of goes overlaps with sports, mm-hmm. which this kind of does. Um, you know, I, I'm not for telling people whether or not they they should or shouldn't shouldn't do something. You know, I don't really want to get into that, but I think it does show that people here in Wichita at least are ready for live sports. They want live sports. They had 2,000 people for a game at X Stadium, which I think is fantastic. All the credit in the world, by the way, to Kevin Jenks, who you know is going through. I'm sure. You know, no sleep for two weeks, which is which is exactly what happens every year. Uh, I've been privileged enough to cover the tournament on radio several times, and I know that he works extremely hard to bring teams in. One thing that I think bodes pretty well for the NBC World Series, we kind of had a little bit of a run through like this. The Kansas Shrine yes. Bowl just happened a couple. Of we weeks talked ago. about this. Um, yeah, all the high school kids came from all over. They had the game. I haven't heard anything. Have you heard no. anything about it, 
positive no, test? No, and Tommy and I talked about this. I yeah, haven't. Tommy and I talked about this on the show, and that you know it was a great way to show, hey, look, so far it looks like folks can come out, do it responsibly, and carry on. So hopefully that looks like it's kind of trickling into to the NBC World Series and the fans yeah. there. So they, you know, they the Kansas Shrine Ball. I would think the NBC World Series. You know, they have older kids, probably should be a little bit more mature and responsible, although, you know, baseball, collegiate baseball players in the summer, I mean, they're not the most responsible kids right. in the world, and that's okay, you know, but you've got a lot of adults there. I think that they realize that, you know, what is happening right now, and they've, they've got an awareness that they need to be careful and take precautions, but I think that the Shrine Bowl shows that things like this, if you have precautions, even if you don't have a significant amount of testing can be done safely. The Shrine Bowl did it. I think the NBC World Series, is. I don't have any problem with them playing. I hope that they continue to play, and I hope that Wichita continues to support the tournament. I think them getting 2,000 fans is phenomenal and speaks to the amazing job that Kevin Jenks and his staff does every single year. And um, I don't know how long of a tangent you want me to get on, have you guys talked about them not playing at Riverfront Stadium? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you no, want to. We'll, no, we'll pass on. I'll, I won't yeah, start on this. We've talked at that, about that at length. Because, uh, I mean, I could go 15 minutes and not let you talk about what terrible, terrible decision-making that is, that that tournament's not at that new stadium. But I will digress and not get us any further off topic, except for to say that, that that's a tragedy that should be corrected for next season. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm – Outside of that, I'm completely happy with everything that the NBC has been doing, and I'm so glad that so many teams decided to come and play and that they're playing safely and that there are so many Wichita fans getting out to see live baseball and supporting the local sports community and, you know, all the great things that the that the National Baseball Congress does for Wichita. And with that being said, uh, you know, it does, it does seem like things have been going well, games are underway, and the championship game as of right now is scheduled for Monday, August 10th. And that would be at X Stadium, and it looks like at 6 p.m. If, if all things 6 going according to plan, so looks like uh, some positive news so far coming out of the NBC World Series. Um, it, Three Kansas teams in the Final Four of the winners bracket: Liberal, Hayes, and Cheney. And you've got the Santa Barbara Foresters are the other team. So you've got three Kansas teams and you know obviously Santa Barbara got a bye I mean you know about how dominant they have been in this tournament no Seattle studs this year is a big downer for me I mean you the Foresters and the studs for you know about a decade they have been trading the tournament back and forth um, you know obviously the Kansas Stars came in that was a little bit of a different deal but so glad that coach Pintard is back with the Foresters and, and to see all these Kansas teams playing so very well and that they got so many teams to come in from all around the country, Texas teams, uh, Mississippi, uh, I think maybe a California team, a lot of teams from Texas, Denver, Colorado. So uh, really got the, the nation really covered with the NBC national. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing I'll add before we move on is when I was in elementary school, we used to play Cheney all the time because I was I went to, to oh, St. Yeah. Mark's Elementary School in St. Mark's, Kansas, which is a feeder school to Andale High School. But I went to St. Mark's Elementary, played Cheney all the time. And we used to always refer to Cheney as the Cheney Cheaters. So I just want the NBC to be on notice that the Cheney Cheaters, if wow. they're winning, you might want to take a little look closer. I don't know. Um, well, we've lost all of our Cheney podcasts. That's right. We lost uh, – that's probably a, a net loss of zero. Um, so <laughs> – Carrying on, we're going to talk a little bit, transition into the, I think, the only sport we haven't talked about yet, uh, and that is hockey and the ECHL and the Wichita Thunder and, and what the ECHL do and, and how it affects Wichita Thunder. Um, they have made an announcement that they are going to revise the start date for the 2021 ECHL season, and the anticipated start date now is going to be December 4th of 2020, and they anticipate still playing the full 72 game schedule uh blake are what are your thoughts on the thunder getting to, to try to play some hockey yeah i mean bring it on uh, you know shout out to my main man mousy play-by-play voice for the wichita thunder it, it i'm wondering because these guys travel so much um obviously you can't have a real bubble because you you know you're moving guys around is there a way to have a travel bubble of okay we're going to all stay on this bus 
it's hard to tell grown men who are young, that want to go out, want to have fun in the cities. You know, I get it. I, well, I don't get it because I'm lame. But if I was a young, good-looking guy, I probably would understand that they want to go out and have fun. Um, you know, I think that there's a way to have like a bubble around your team where, hey, guys, we're going to stay on the bus. We're going to go to the hotel room, um, you know, and, and do this. Um, you know, what we've seen so far, though, is in the major leagues, this is really tough to do, if, especially if you have guys that are not following the rules. Um, you know, it, it, we talked about the success that they have had at the NBC World Series. That's only played in one location. I guess this year, technically two locations. They're playing some games in, in Hutchinson and some in X Stadium. That's only two locations. The Kansas Shrine Bowl is only one game at one location, and they had the teams practicing down there for a week, you know, and they had to stay around the stadium. This is way different. You've got so many teams traveling all the time. I, do they fly? I don't know if I they fly it. in the ECH. I, you know, I think that they, I know that they bus most places, but boy, it seems like if you bus, you could easily sanitize and just keep not letting anybody else on the bus. It seems like that could be done. I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor or a scientist. So, you know, those are the, the things that I, I think delaying is a, is a yeah. good move. Um, well, and uh, hard for me to hard for me to see fans coming in there in December, yeah, though. That that might and I'll kind of jump in there too. I think that's what to me the interesting thing, and I, I hope they get to play. I think playing is always better than not playing, and and I definitely agree with you. Pushing back is is definitely smart, as we're all hopeful that by December things may look a lot different, it, really around the world. But um, you know, I, I, to me, I kind of compare it to, to minor league baseball, and I think it's interesting that if the ECHL can pull off you know, essentially playing this hockey where the revenue for those teams come from getting fans in the stands. And then essentially the, really the corporate sponsorships that you're selling, but with the intent of fans seeing those sponsorships in the stadiums, you know, that's really where the revenue is driven. So I, I find it hard to believe that they will be able to have a season if in no capacity fans can be played. But then as we've just talked about the NBC and the Shrine Bowl and those kind of things, it, it is interesting to see it and kind of wonder why, you know, maybe minor league baseball could have done this or maybe, you know, hockey could, you know, if they're going to be able to pull it off. But I do think it's, again, different in open air where we've all kind of felt like it's a, it's a different experience when you're outside, you know, and especially I, I kind of think about the MLB too. And, and I know probably the answer is it's more of a liability thing. They just don't want to assume the risk. Yeah, I just don't want to deal with it. Probably. Well, especially when TV dollars are coming in, and that's what really drives it. But, you know, you have these, right. especially you think Major League Baseball, you've got a 40,000-seat stadium. You know, why can you not put 8,000? Can't put 10,000 10, fans Right, in there. and then you think about a minor league stadium. It, I know. it holds, you know, 16,000. Why can't you put two in there? And that's probably all you're going to get really – you know, a lot of teams are probably all they're getting two, three anyways. So then you kind of shift down to, to minor league hockey. And I do think being enclosed, it does make a difference. But like I said, we'll see where we're at in December. But over. And there are a lot of fans that would, would that would come that would choose not to come. That's sure. certainly a part of it that they would say, you know what, I'm just going to wait. And that's and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being with being safe. So there are those fans, yeah. too, that would otherwise come but are not going to attend because of everything that's going on. Yeah, and overall, I mean, of course, I'm hopeful that that they get to play the season. I'm hoping that they can put some fans in there. Um, You know, and I think ultimately the hope, right, is that we'll all have just an incredibly different outlook on sports come December 4th. I I don't think anyone is necessarily expecting that at this point in time. But, you know, I I think there's no reason not to be hopeful, right? So, um, Absolutely. So anyways, the the ECLH moving their their start back to their season to December 4, 2020 with a full 72-game schedule. Um, so the Wichita Thunder will look to uh, continue on with their, their full season. So with that, we will move into the finally funny. And Tommy's not here to contain me from keeping the Chiefs out of a pod, podcast episode. So we are, <laughs> are going to talk Chiefs. We're going to talk Patrick Mahomes. And TMZ put the story on. And I'm, I hate that I'm giving TMZ the credit. I just saw it all pieced together by TMZ. Because really... Patrick Mahomes did an interview, Josh Allen did an interview, and they were both asked about, particularly Pat was first asked about the Madden ratings that came out. Pat was given a 97 throw power, while Josh Allen was given a 99 throw power. Pat basically threw down the gloves and said, 
you know, hey, I haven't, I don't see, I don't think there's anybody that can throw a football farther than me. I'm glad to throw against Josh Allen. Josh Allen <laughs> willingly accepted that um, invitation. So, uh, you know, and he even told uh, ESPN that he that he wanted to to line it up and and see it see it going on. So, would love to see that get thrown out. Uh, Blake, I'm hoping I know your answer, but who are you taking, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Oh, I'm going to take Mahomes. And by the way, this just came out today. Allen says, as of today, they have a deal to get the throw-off done. They're postponing it because of coronavirus restrictions. Um, and they are – Allen says he's hoping that they're going to be able to raise some money for charity by having this throw-off. But I don't know how they're going to do that, if they'll take some wagers or something. But, um, yeah, of course I'm going to take Mahomes. I'm not going to take <laughs> Allen. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> kind of a question is that i want to be asked if i want to be invited back to the podcast i'm never gonna say not patrick mahomes that's insane big pat swagger all day but and this is this is a perfect segue in into my to to my second finally funny as we talk about the chiefs and and really what's going on the coronavirus as training camps open up uh, a couple of reporters had, you know, they were doing an interview with Andy Reid, and, and Andy Reid has been wearing. It's been noted that he's been wearing a full face shield. Which, hey, I'm going to say it looks funny to me, but again, just like you've been saying, <laughs> hey, do whatever you got to do. If that if that's more comfortable or makes you feel more safe, whatever, absolutely go do it. But Andy Reid has been wearing a face shield to practice, which I think is a funny thought to see, and was asked about the comfort of that face mat or the face shield. And he said he made the comments along the line of it'd be comfortable if you were a beekeeper, which I thought was perfect out of Andy Reed. Well, I think I've, I work with some people who, who choose to wear face shields and it's more, I don't know about the level of protection and, and all that, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but it does let you emote a lot better. You know, you can show off your emotions, you know, because people could see your face. Yeah. Obviously, if you're covering like this, like I look a lot better this way. Most people don't. You like to see the whole face on most people. Yeah. But for Andy Reid, I think when he's working with players, you know, he's a big, cheery, goofy, you know, not that he's not serious about his right. job, but I mean, he's a really likable yeah. guy. I think he just relates to to his players better with a face shield. So, I mean, if Big Red wants to wear a face shield, if he wants to wear a trash bag, I don't really care. You do whatever you want to do, Andy Reid, and God bless you and your family. That's all I have to say about Andy Reid is God bless him. And thank you. I would also tell him thank you. Blake, that is a perfect place for us to go ahead and end this episode. God bless Andy Reid. Absolutely. God bless and, Andy And with Reed. that with that being said, um, that's going to be a wrap for, for the episode today. Reminder, you can follow uh, Keeper of the Games on Twitter at KOG Pod. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at KOG Pod. You can watch all of our uh, streaming episodes on YouTube or Facebook by just searching Keeper of the Games. You can find us on our website at kogpod.weebly.com, which will soon, uh, we've got new news coming about that soon. Not that any of you go to the website, but we do have news coming soon <laughs> about the website. Blake, if our listeners want to follow you as a part of the uh, show, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, is that B E C R I P P S? And I'm at W Mills 94. Remember to subscribe on any of your major podcast platforms so you can get the the quickest alerts on when all new episodes are dropping. And for that, uh, I'm Weston Mills, Blake Cripps. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's K-O-G-P-O-D. 